going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. We got Jays jumpers, Darren Jackson Jr., John Rance, Joe Johnson's jaw wraps, of course. We've got Jays. We got him for days. Before I ask you how you're doing, you have to guess who. So I just I, I work part time at the PGA Tour Superstore in Indianapolis. Come on by, better than Golf Galaxy in every single way possible. Um, you have to guess which father of one of our intro. Uh, uh, components. Oh, I just got a text about being at the PJ Tour Superstore. There's really only like two two options. Well, that's not true. There's one. Jared Jackson Jr. That's correct. Of course, the day after I'm, I'm over here podcasting, and Jared Jackson. And I'm, in case you weren't aware, in case you've been living under the rock for the last six years, I'm from Memphis, Tennessee. So that would have been cool to be a part of. But of course, I'm not there. Instead, I'm podcasting. That's fine. I'm not that upset Tell your about colleagues it. to say hi to Jaron Jackson Sr. Yeah, I'm not that upset about it. And you know what I'm going to do now, if you're watching on YouTube? I'm not going to put the microphone in front of us. Um, I was looking at the levels. You could still hear us, so we're just going to keep it rolling. But now the microphone's in front of us, so I bet you can hear us even better now. Anyways, um, Jay's Radio's podcast, thank you so much for being here, whether it's on YouTube or uh, in podcast form on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Um, now I will very appropriately and very um, uh, with great consideration ask how you are. So I got to tell you about this infomercial I saw yesterday. Okay. It's, it's quite something. I was watching Richard Seymour's Hall of Fame induction speech, okay? Nothing bizarre. Okay. And, you know, you got the YouTube ads you click through first. So I skipped Naturally. the first one after the five seconds. Right. And I'm waiting for this second one to start counting down so I can skip that one. And they start talking about this thing that looks like a lightsaber. They're taking okay. it and burning holes into, you know, walls and stuff. Apparently, there is. It doesn't sound like a lightsaber. That's, <laughs> that, that is a lightsaber. Right. Well, the difference is... It's a flashlight. It is a military-grade flashlight that basically is a lightsaber and also is so powerful, it can cook eggs. Is this not the most bizarre? I got my brother and my brother watched the next two and a half minutes of this infomercial with me. It is so dangerous, it's not allowed to be sold in stores. You have to get it directly from the, like you, you the, produ- the, what's the manufacturer. manufacturer. Thank you, yes. There are real military-grade lightsabers out there, apparently. I'm not sure how I feel about that. <laughs> it was quite terrifying. I'm not sure why we need that. <laughs> that, is the, that is the question I kept coming back I'm to. I'm not sure why any civilian needs to know that exists. <laughs> right. There can only, only bad things can come from civilians knowing that exists. Uh, yeah, I, mean, I guess the counter is it's ultimately it's just an incredibly powerful flashlight. So there are... Good things you can do with it, but I'm I'm with you. I just saw all the ways that, it can go wrong. That's a fun thing. How many things can we preposterously just describe as a really powerful X? Yeah, I can't, and, and that's not something I'm probably not a great use of our time to come up with right now. But like, yes, technically a super powerful flashlight, but also destructive. <laughs> you can just burn stuff with it. <laughs> like a like a like a like a real car is really just a really big matchbox car. It's fine. It's true. I just had to share that. That is that, that's unnecessary. unnecessary. Yeah, oh, absolutely unnecessary. I couldn't believe what I was watching. Yeah, I'm I'm cool with I'm cool with that not circulating quickly. I'm I'm glad it's difficult to get that. I'm glad yes. you can't just go to Walmart next to like the Duracell batteries <laughs> and the you know Ace Hardware branded um, flashlight right. that I can't also pick up um, a wall melter and a lightsaber. <laughs> Anyways, I, I didn't know such a thing existed. Evidently, it does. Apparently, it does. And now we, there's another tool at your disposal if you need <laughs> that for. I can't come up with the reason. I really can't. Just please be safe. <laughs> one of those. One of those. Please use responsibly. <laughs> yeah. um, things at the very bottom. Okay. So this kind of marks the. We're warming ourselves. I can't say we're completely. We're we're kind of talking about the upcoming season. We've we've begun. We had a discussion last weekend about kind of the plan of action moving forward. Right. Uh, we had Lucas on last week at Harvard Sports. Always a good time t- chatting with him. And today kind of starts the laying the foundation 
um, for uh, the, the the conference preview series that we do at the beginning of every college basketball season. Um, it's not completely, it, it is inherently about this season um, because we're talking about things that will impact the upcoming year, um, but still kind of talking about basically what's happened since uh, since the national since Kansas won the national championship back in early April to what's happening right now um, and kind of breaking down what's happening taking a moment to reflect because a lot has happened um, I'm looking at a list of all the coaching changes that happened in the country uh, over the you know during the summer and it's extensive and it spans you know places from you know LIU Brooklyn all the way to programs as big as Florida. So there's a lot to cover. Uh, we're going to do it in, in a handful of different uh, iterations, different categories to kind of talk about what's happened over the last three or four months um, and get us ready to in the middle of September, right? The middle of September is when we'll... Yes. To actually start uh, our conference previews in the way that we have the last couple of years. So the first category we're tackling, and it's in a bit of a and it won't all take the exact same uh, shape in terms of how we tackle the category. Um, but today we're going to talk coaches and, and new coaching hires in particular, and we're kind of going to do that in a superlative type structure, um, and that's going to be in a you know, we got five categories. Um, Josh very nicely asked for the ability to have honorable mentions, but here's the five categories that we're going to use to tackle uh, the new coaching hires around the country. We're going to start with intriguing. So the most intriguing coaching hire, in your opinion, followed by the most important, your favorite, uh, the one, the guy under the most pressure, and then under the radar hire. Um, that's how we're going to tackle this, uh, this podcast here this week. Uh, and then we'll move on to, we'll talk some transfers, we'll talk uh, we'll talk interesting facts from last year. Basically, you just give us an, an excuse to spend an hour with Ken Palm and see what we can find. Absolutely, um, which is always a great time. Um, as well as uh, you know, departures from programs, transfers. Uh, we'll get to all of that uh, in the next few weeks. But where we start today is with uh, the guys uh, with the honor of running new programs here in 2022. Do you have anything to add before we get started? No. Yeah. So I've got honorable mentions for all of them. I have honorable mentions for all but one, okay. maybe two of them. And an effort to, to just get more coaches in there, basically. Yes. But I have, yeah, but there's like one of my honorable mentions is really like a group of coaches. Oh, okay. Um, so yes, we'll get, we'll talk about as many as, as we possibly can. Um, Mr. Doring, the floor is yours. Your most intriguing hire. I went with Mike White. Mm. Did you know, maybe you did though, but I learned today... That Mike White was that he left before Florida could hire him. I don't. I couldn't remember fire that. Him? But yes, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Before Florida could fire him, it was a mutual parting of ways yeah. in Shore, and I'm sure that it, he was his leash was very short, if not completely gone, and it was going to happen at some point. Mm-hmm. That wouldn't shock me. But technically, looking back in the history books, ten yes. years from now, he Mike was White was fired. not fired from Florida. Yeah. Anyways, I think I knew that. Yeah, this is intriguing to me because the the resources and the talent, in theory, are there, right? We have seen what happens when these big-time athletic brands, a.k.a. Alabama, mm-hmm. put money behind their basketball programs mm-hmm. and get somebody who's a high-level coach. Michigan, same thing. Ohio State, right? Consistently... Over the last couple of decades, from Thad Mata on, top 25 team most of the time. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be Duke or North Carolina to have an immense amount of success basketball-wise. And if, if you're looking at sort of the next program to take that step, I mean, Georgia's got to be right there. Certainly on the short list. They, they landed Anthony Edwards. You know, it's got to count for something. They can recruit. And it didn't turn into anything. Right. So my question here, well, it's sort of two parts that go together. One, I understand why Mike White took this job, specifically why he left Florida, as we were just talking about, in terms of that wasn't going particularly well for him. No. So fresh start. I would argue your resources are pretty comparable. I mean, maybe Florida's Florida's got a more established basketball brand, obviously, but 
It's not like you're going to a bottom tier high major program. To to put it one way, the answer is never no if you need something. Right. At Georgia. But my question is, if Tom Crean couldn't turn this thing around, what indication is there that Mike White is going to be able to turn it around? So from Georgia's perspective, if you just tried the revival with the proven coach who didn't have it go so well at a higher level program, Mm -hmm. why are you doing it again? With somebody who, you know, didn't rebuild IU from the ground up and turn IU into one of the top five teams in the country at one point. Arguably the mm. best team in the country. Mm-hmm. I will always go to bat for Tom Crean and the work he did there. Right? Mike White's track record is not Tom Crean's. That's why I find this so intriguing is, did Mike White learn some lessons and can he... Because he was, you know, one of those really hot young coaches when Florida got him. Mm-hmm. Has he learned some lessons and can he be the one to turn this around? Because... In my head, it's very much you're trying to do the same thing with a coach I have less faith in. Mm. A couple things. Uh, One, if you gave me, like, it's either that or it's go get a completely unproven high major coach. Right. So when when weighing the two options, and my most intriguing is the guy who just replaced Mike White at Florida. Um, So we can talk about Florida in this conversation as well. But... The first part I would say is that would you rather have Mike White or would you rather have, you know, enter mid young mid major coach? Depends on who the mid major coach is. Sure. But at the same time, it's not like Mike White was bad at Florida. No. He would he under delivered. I would argue. Um, especially in that year where they were top five in the yeah. country and Kerry Blackshear had come and that team was supposed to be much, much better than it was. And it was just not a good year. And then we talked a lot about Mike White having to learn to balance that talented of a, of a, of a team. And he didn't do it particularly well. Um, but that would be, that would be my first ponderment, ponderment. That's not a word. My first pondering, um, and, and the second one being, I think Florida is, and I'm going to talk about this a little bit with Todd Golden at, coming to Florida. I think Florida's job, I think being the Florida basketball coach is a harder job than people give it, I would agree people with that. Give it credit for. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in terms of basketball recruiting at this point, you're, especially now with how much effort and money Miami's put into NIL, I mean, Florida State is just kind of the premier basketball program in that state, as far as I'm concerned right now, especially with the tenure of Leonard Hamilton. Um, so I just don't think the best players in Florida, like when was the last time you heard like a Montverde guy, you know, Montverde, an elite basketball high school, last time you heard one of those guys, like having Florida be one of the main players in his, I just think that, at Florida, you're expected, you have the resources and the pedigree to recruit highly, but I don't think anybody, you know, guys who are the elite of elite recruits are all that interested in going to Florida. I just think it's a tough job relative to the conference and the expectations and just the magnitude of which any recruit is stepping into there, right? It's a it's a place that is going to just be overwhelmingly at times... You know, there's going to be pressure just because it's an SEC. I just think it's a harder uh, a job than people get a cre- give it credit for. So I say that to say I'm not necessarily out on Mike White yet. Um, maybe it was just that wasn't the the best of, yeah. of options. And for that him. certainly has happened before. Uh, I'm just I'm cu- curious about the thought process from George's perspective because sure. you just tried this and didn't go so well. Now, there are some differences between the two. Mike White consistently delivered NCAA tournament quality teams. Mm -hmm. They just, right, you could have gotten a lot more out of them. And I think, you know, the other, at the very least, it's a guy that's got SEC Mm -hmm. recruiting, like, ends, like, he has connections there. And it's not like, and like, when you look around the mid majors in the immediate area, there's not really anybody there that's like, oh, that guy, like, that's the hot coach to go get, right? I mean, It's it's not like there's a right on the West Coast with, you know, like a, you know, and there's a guy that I'm going to get to on my list here in a little bit that I wouldn't be surprised if you're going to as well. A guy that got a job in the Big 12 in a general, in the same general region. 
as the place yep. he came from. I'm just not sure. There's like there's not that guy that jumps off the right. page to me. Like you know you know more a bigger area, but like the West Coast, like Tommy yep. Lloyd jumps off the page for a job like Arizona. Yeah. Um, Todd Golden, same thing. Right. You got plenty of guys in the Midwest. You got Shaheen Holloway in the Northeast. That's a, that's a valid point, right? There's there's not an obvious alternative. Mm. I just always find these moves kind of interesting. Right. In what way are we raising the floor, the ceiling of right. of the program by making this hire? Which, in theory, is the whole idea of making a new hire is to create more room for growth that possibly wasn't there. And you're right, that doesn't exactly jump off the page. But maybe there's a step in between that needs to happen of raising the floor, mm-hmm. and that's what Mike White can do. And then it starts rolling a little bit, and then you can take that next step. I guess that's the, the positive way to look at it. Uh, on the other side of the Florida equation, right, somebody leaves, somebody has to come in, and that's my most intriguing hires, Todd Golden, San Francisco. Um, I, I, like I said, I think Florida's a sneaky hard job, and I really, really like Todd Golden. And if you get the 37-year-old hire correctly, correct, he can be there for 30 years. And it's not like... It's not like somebody's going to be able to pay Todd Golden all my, all that much more than Florida would be able to pay Todd. Like that's yeah. the kind of place that can pay him as much as Kentucky pays Calipari yeah. if it gets to the point that he's that successful. Where was the? I mean, look, where the last uber successful Florida coach ended up? There yeah. was no, there were no. I mean, maybe there were some discussions. I don't remember a lot of discussions about Billy Donovan leaving. Right. To go to a different college, I'm sure people wanted him, but mm-hmm. no, it was an NBA thing. Like, uh-huh. Absolutely, yeah. Um. So this is intriguing to me, not because I'm not a Todd Golden fan. I think anybody who watched what he did at San Francisco the last you know, several years, I think we're, for the most part, the general consensus is that we like Todd Golden. But Todd Golden was only at San Francisco for three years. He was only head coach for three years. And he only was, he was above 500 twice. It's not like he completely reinvented the wheel. And it, right, the COVID year, it was weird. And last year was very good. San Francisco getting a 10 seed after where they were, you know, just five years ago is certainly an impressive feat. Um, and this has nothing to do with how I feel about Todd Golden, the head coach, Todd Golden, the guy on the sidelines. Um, just more of a. Just going from year three at San Francisco to Florida is a really, really big jump. Especially moving across the country, And too. that's the next thing I was going yeah. to say. Um, it's not like he's going from San Francisco to another Northern California school where he can have some sort of... Um, where he has any sort of recruiting. And, and, like, he's bringing some guys with him, guys that developed at San Francisco, and all of these things are valid, but I... <laughs> any connections in that part of the country like the way that you turn a program like florida around is you find a way to like you 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 hope to get lucky with either some guys you bring in or some guys you hit on in recruiting but the fastest way to turn a program around ask that mata is to get guys to come to your school and get guys to come out of the transfer portal and with all due respect to todd golden Three, the pedigree that comes with three years at San Francisco is not exactly overwhelming. And he's not, he moves, you know, 2,000 miles across the country. Um, I'm just intrigued because I think it's, it's a lot to step into for a guy who only has three years of Division One college basketball head coaching experience. And that's just such a massive jump. I like Todd Golden a lot. This is not about Todd Golden, the, the basketball coach. It's um, it's just about how big of a difference there is between being successful at San Francisco and then going across the country to Florida. And yet he's already managed to do well in the portal and change Colin Castleton's mind. Mm-hmm. This is my honorable mention for favorite hire, so we can just talk about it now. Go ahead. Yeah, all the stuff you said, there are certainly question marks. I just come down to a couple of things. A, so far he's off to a terrific start. And B, I'm always a little bit wary of, and I think I've talked about this before, of the mid-major coach who is either you know overseeing a well-oiled machine mm. or becomes a household name because of an NCAA tournament run. Mm. Right? Todd Golden took San Francisco from a relevancy to a top 35 team in the country 
ish, somewhere in there, top 40, by definition, if you're a 10 seed, right? Mm -hmm. Somewhere in there. That's something most people don't have on their resumes of completely changing the narrative surrounding a program. And there's also, I think, because you are Florida, you sort of have this built-in floor that some other programs don't, Mm -hmm. where you're... you're always going to have guys who want talented guys who want to come there. Even if you're not winning every recruiting battle, you're always going to have incredible resources. But you're always going to be competitive if you're Florida. So why not go take the swing? Because if it works, like you said, he's there for two plus decades and you're all of a sudden top ten program in the country consistently. And you've got the other part of this for me, which is I'm not sure there's a coach in the country. Maybe there are a couple more built for the next era of college basketball than Todd Golden. From an analytics perspective, from an NIL perspective, from a player relationship perspective, from a doing all the stuff that it, you have to do now as a head coach. You've talked about this, the idea of right people don't want to have to deal with all of this new stuff. He doesn't care. Mm-hmm. He's an energizer bunny who is not set in his ways because he hasn't had time to be set in his ways. And somebody was going to give him a chance, so you might as well take the shot a little bit early mm-hmm. and see I'm I'm a huge fan of this. I don't I don't not like Todd Golden. I will also say that they just went and got the young hot mid-major coach and Mike White and it didn't work. Sure. And that's where I, I feel there's a different justification because Todd Golden built a program as opposed to being successful, I'm not. I'm, I'm going to disagree with building a program in three years, and a, and one year where they went ten and fourteen. He at least changed the narrative. Okay, and and I can also argue that if they don't beat Virginia last year, and Gonzaga is just an like a top twenty five team and not a team that we're trying to circle things on their non conference, that we're also talking about San Francisco a different way. Just playing devil's advocate. Sure, maybe maybe rebuilding is a little bit too strong, but certainly change the narrative surrounding. San Francisco basketball means something very different now. In theory. And if it doesn't, that's a, even more credit to him for what he was able to do. Sure. They go back to a relevancy. Sure. I am always going to want more than three years of head coaching experience. And maybe I'll just be completely wrong, but... In the same, I'm just that's that's a really really big jump. Anyway, oh, that's sure. my most intriguing hire. Okay, my honorable mention is Sean Miller. Just trying to find somewhere to fit him in here because he needs to be part. Oh, of we this can talk about him. He's my most important hire. Most important. Okay, that was the other spot I thought about putting him. They can be really. Really good. Really good. Look at what Chris Mack was able to do. It's not like they've dropped off in recruiting. They haven't dropped off in talent. They just dropped off in execution. And if there's anything Sean Miller is good at, it's executing during the regular season. This is a top... And paying players to come play for him. Sure, that part too. <laughs> that was a that was a joke. I'm not actually yeah. interested in having a drawn out conversation right. about that. Right, right, right. Because okay. I'm actually I'm I'm about to say that Xavier absolutely had to hire him. And that's the other part of this. From a, it's just the potential of look what he did the first time. Now also, what does this look like in the Big East? Mm-hmm. And also, again, he never got suspended for the NCAA stuff. We don't need to go into a long conversation, but there are just so many facets of this that are interesting to me Mm -hmm. of how this actually all plays out whether he can deliver on the expectations and sort of the the two plus two equals four of look at the talent they're still able to acquire look at his coaching record his familiar with the program this should be what they were under chris mack which was the top three program in the big east Mm -hmm. and then there's also everything that comes with him but we can jump into most important hiring uh, my honorable mention for intriguing is Steve Prom. Just because. So we flipped these two. He's my he's my honorable mention for most important. Interesting. Um, I it it's just kind of fascinating that, that idea of you know it, I'd be what I'm really curious about is how long Steve Prom is in is back at Murray State because 
once again, if he doesn't want to leave, they're never going to ask him to leave, right? But like, from a from a Murray State perspective, are we like, did you make him promise that he's not going to leave in four years again? Because as far as I'm concerned, maybe that's just the reality of the situation when you're as consistent of a mid major as Murray State Murray State is, is that at some point. You just got to be okay with, okay, we're going to be good for four years and then he's going to leave he, and then we'll get somebody else who's good and then it's a well-oiled mid-major machine so that we're probably going to be good with that guy too and then he's going to leave and maybe it's just an accepted part of being a mid-major basketball program. Um, but like, what are we especially accomplishing if he's just going to be really good for four years and then leave again? That's that's just my wonderment, which is why it's intriguing. So the reason I have him as my honorable mention for important, and I switched him and Sean Miller, mm-hmm. I'm more interested and intrigued by Sean Miller. There's just something about going to Murray State that doesn't captivate me. But from an important standpoint, sure, there's absolutely an argument that it that program is at a point where it doesn't matter who comes in, they're going to be just fine. However... Pairing Steve Prone with where this program is at at and how they're continuing to grow. Mm-hmm. You've got four NCAA tournament quality teams in five years, counting the one that didn't actually get to play in the NCAA tournament. With Ja, without Ja, they were brilliant again last season. It's very, very mid-major program gets to replace that coach who leaves for the high-major job with a guy... With Steve Steve Prohm's track record, who also understands how to make that, how to be great in that program and how that program functions because he was a big part of building that. Mm -hmm. And so to me, this could be the difference between Murray State just still being a good program and Murray State cementing themselves as one of the best mid-majors in the country because of that extra little bit he can give you because of his track record, his familiar, familiarity with the program, instead of trying to get somebody new and hope it works, to me this is about as, as safe and as much of a no-brainer as you're going to get. And with all that being said, if he goes 120 and 16 in four years, he's going to leave again. Yeah. And sure. that, Which is why it's intriguing, because I'm not sure that passes the out loud test, to be, if I'm being completely honest with you. Because as far as I'm concerned, that just means we're hitting pause on the clock for four years. And then hoping in four years that some other good guy will, will come around. I, I'm not... Of course it makes sense. Yeah. But... Uh, and if he wants to come back, you let him come back. Like, that's... It, it's not it's not like I don't get why. But, like, if I'm the AD, I'm asking, are you going to leave in four years? Mm-hmm. Straight right. up. Right. And if the answer is I don't know, I'm thinking really hard about whether or not I'm hiring you. So maybe they just don't care because of the track record, and that's completely fine. Um, I'm just, I guess more than anything, I'm intrigued by in 2026 is Steve Prohm, the head coach of Murray mm-hmm. State, because the answer is either yes, he is, or no, because he left to take another high major job. Yeah. The, the two things I'll say real quick on that is one, yes, there's absolutely the risk he leaves because he has something to prove you would think, in terms of wanting another crack at doing it at the highest level. Mm-hmm. Two, that also means you've got an incredibly motivated coach, which is a benefit. And the other thing, I will throw out the hypothetical that maybe, and I, I'm with you that I think he wants another shot, but maybe he's just at a point where he realizes the grass isn't always greener and I am more than happy just building this thing and I feel like I can compete come NCAA tournament time. If I get a little bit, just sort of that next step up in terms of pedigree and financial resources, and I can do it here, and I'm I'm not trying to go through what I went through at Iowa State. There is that that possibility, right? But more than likely, he knows that that's the place he can go to rebuild his his resume and value as a high major yes. coach, but, and get another shot at right. the sure. Um, Sean Miller is my most important because if. Trivia time. How many times did Xavier miss the NCAA tournament? Four times in the current, uh, in the in the current four times in a row in the current construction of the NCAA tournament. <laughs> Meaning how many teams? So sixty four slash sixty eight. Okay, so going back to the start of sixty four. Yes. 
How many times did they miss the tournament four years in a row, which is what they've done. Missing the 2022 NCAA tournament was four, right, including the 2020 year, yes, but for the purposes of the conversation. It's not like they were world beaters that year. I'll say this is the second time. This is the first time. They have only missed the NCAA tournament four times in a row since it, before it went from 32 to 64. I don't care how how good Travis Steele recruits. If you're not winning in Cincinnati, Ohio, at a school that's non-football dom- dominant, in a time where if... And a school that just frankly, like, the football schools are always going to be able to pay guys in NIL... It is really important, and I've just and I'll let you say who your most important guy is. But looking at your page right in front of me, it's the same reason why that guy is my honorable mention for most important. Yeah. <laughs> These two, yeah, because Xavier cannot afford to not be good at basketball, and they cannot afford to be the place that guy that recruits look at and say, yeah, they, they've had good recruiting classes before, but they don't win basketball games. They don't win enough to make it to the tournament. What would you say, three of those four years they were supposed to be good enough to make the tournament? At least. If not all four? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, like, at the beginning of last year, Travis Steele literally said, yeah, we expect to win the Big East. Yep. It's not not an accident that Travis Steele is now the Miami of Ohio head coach. Because, like, you can recruit all you want to. You got to back it up with wins. And as you said... Sean Miller knows how to win enough games to get in the NCAA tournament. And, right, of course the success here as well, like all of those things are taken into into consideration. But in a very similar way to Butler, they don't have the luxury of being bad at basketball and not in the luxury of guys not thinking that they can make it to the tournament if they come to play basketball at Xavier because that – like going almost half a decade without going to the tournament when you're Xavier, that's that's not good, right? Um, so it's I think it was absolute right up there with with Butler, who we're about to talk about. It's the most important hire from a from a perspective of how important that basketball team is to the university relative to the other sports that they have. Um, and the the success or lack thereof of the last, you know, near half decade. So here's why I went with Thad Mata and not Sean Miller. My initial instinct was to put those two in this category. I ultimately changed Sean Miller to most intriguing. But I also, if, if you're sort of taking everything else out of the equation and just in the college basketball landscape, the two most important hires, it's these two. I'm right there with you. The reason I went Thad Mata was... Xavier, and I came from this more from a fan publicity standpoint. At least Xavier fans are confident in the talent they have on the roster consistently. Right. Incredibly frustrated that talent didn't turn into NCAA tournament appearances and live up to its potential. Mm -hmm. But you're never worried about Xavier's ability to compete. Even during the stretch where they're not making the NCAA tournament. If your definition of competing is winning 19. But of feeling like you can come into a... Feeling coming into a a season like you should be an NCAA tournament team kind of thing. Sure. Talking to people in the Butler universe, the amount of excitement and people actually caring about this program, again, is incredible. That's, I think, where Xavier has an edge. Which I have a fundamental issue with, by the way. Yes. Get over yourselves. Support the team that's bad for a couple of years. It's literally the greatest 15 years in Butler basketball history. Immediately prior. Like, get over yourselves. But, you're, but you're absolutely right. I think there's still excitement from a year-to-year standpoint with Xavier because they know what they can be. Mm-hmm. It was very unclear what Butler could be. And then Thad Mata came in, and all of a sudden the roster looks a lot better, and people are excited because Thad Mata is the only coach of that caliber Butler is going to get. Mm-hmm. Just like Sean Miller is probably the only coach of that caliber Xavier is going to get. So that is where I sort of separated the two a little bit and went sure. with Thad Mata. But it is, it is the exact same point. These two programs have unhappy fan bases that you can't afford to have because they're basketball first schools with an incredible track record and recent success 
And they landed... Is it the two most impressive coaches that have a new job this year from a resume standpoint? Obviously, there are caveats with both of them. But just from a wins and losses perspective, I can't think of anybody who has a more impressive track record. No. I mean, yeah, it's hard to it's hard to have a better track record than Ohio State and Arizona, which is your point. Right. Kevin Willard comes to the, comes to mind. Kevin Willard's certainly up there. Um, yeah. But other than that, I'm looking at the list now. Other than that, not not anybody that that jumps off the page. To get two guys at schools that can't compete with the biggest brands in the country in terms of paying coaches with this track record, we just don't see this happen. Mm. So, yes, absolutely, those two, from a changing the vibes around the program, far and away, one and two. Agreed. All right, your, who's your favorite coach and why is it Jerome Tang? <laughs> I, I was going to say, you ought to guess, but you already guessed it correctly. I don't know if you looked at my page or not. but I did not, I did not see, I did not know that I that was your favorite. So. I just, yes. but like this, this is just... Very rarely is something as subjective as favorite have a correct answer, and this is just the correct answer yes. this year. I was going to be disappointed if you didn't um, didn't guess that. Yeah. First Jerome of Taylor, uh, associate head coach at Baylor, now at yes. Kansas State. By the way, yes. For those who who you know need to be included on the I've talked about this before. I talked about it after Baylor won the national championship. Jerome Tang was there from the very beginning when people looked at Scott Drew and said what in the world are you doing taking this job mm-hmm. Jerome Tang spent the last $18 or whatever it was in his bank account to host Scott Drew at his house and provide him with food when Jerome Tang was still at the high school level mm-hmm. and was Every step of the way was there building this Baylor program into what it's become. How he didn't have a head coaching job before this is beyond me. Now, part of it is he got to a point where he wasn't taking any job Mm -hmm. because he could be very picky and had no reason to leave until he actually found an opportunity he wanted. And I'm already getting tired of this. It's a massive rebuild job at Kansas State if he thinks that's the the right one, go for it. I just don't really see it. You want to know how many teams have won a share of the Big 12 regular season title since 2008-2009? I'll go... Uh, of the regular season title? Yes. Then it's three. It's four. So it's Kansas State, it's Baylor, it's Kansas. Texas Tech once. Oh, you're right. Okay, yes, 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 yep. you're right. I forgot about the Texas. Oh, because they did they share it with Kansas State? Is yes. that what happened? Yeah. Okay. Sorry. That so, was yeah. the, that I was forgot. The I forgot. I was yeah. like, wait a second. Regular season. I mean, I, I guess it's been several years since that streak for Kansas actually ended, hasn't yeah. it? Because from 08, 09 to like whenever, see, to like 2019, it was just Kansas, right? Kansas State shared one other. Did they really? Okay. Was it the was it the Clemente year? No. Twelve thirteen. Is that the Clemente year? Yeah, that might have been a Jacob Pullen. Mm. I'm gonna look up who was on that twenty. Yeah, the that 12, might have been 13, a little bit too late. The twelve thirteen team. Yeah. You're right. That is a little late. We gotta we gotta see now. Yeah. So, but please continue. My point being, no other program outside of Kansas in this conference has won the regular season title more times in Kansas runs of dominance. Than Kansas State. This is not some beat-down program that hasn't experienced success in 25 years. Mm-hmm. This is a fairly regular... Elite eight in the last 48 months, by the way. Yeah. This is a... Improbable, but a run yeah, nonetheless. That was not a terrific team. But, but a run but nonetheless. Consistently in the NCAA tournament. Now, of course, not you the last 12, couple You said 12-13? Yes. They were 27-8 and eight that year. Let's see. Rodney McCruger, McCruger okay. uh, was the leading scorer. Um, Shane Southwell, Angel Rodriguez. Oh, this is Angel Rodriguez team. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. 
Yeah. What year was the was the Clemente team? That's what that was earlier. Yeah, that was like that was like oh eight oh nine. Area. 10, 10, 11, yeah, somewhere. In there. I think they were good. Twenty nine and eight, maybe. Dennis Clemente, that yeah, was his and name. Jacob yeah, and Poland. Uh, Jacob Poland. Yeah, there you go. Curtis Kelly. Yeah. These guys have been good, and right, they recently made an elite eight. I just don't think there's as much now. There is work to be done for sure. That Jacob roster. Poland, 20, 20 points a game. Yeah. senior year. That's a lot of points. The roster is is a mess. He's starting from scratch in that standpoint. But with the transfer portal, that doesn't even mean that much anymore. Mm-hmm. And you already look at what he's doing. He's doing just fine. This is nowhere near as bleak of a situation as people think uh, And he's already signed two top yeah. 65 recruits for 2020. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I've, got, I've got two words in conjunction to create one name as to why I, I really like this. Do you, do you know what the do you know what those two words in conjunction to create one name is? I'm confused by the second part of that. In conjunction to create one name. Yeah, it, well, it's two separate words uh-huh. together. They make one man's name. Oh, Scott Drew. Jerome Tang falls into a very to to the same category as this guy. Oh, Tommy Lloyd. That's correct. Uh, recruiting heavy. Assistant coaches who have a front row seat to the highest level of winning yeah. college basketball and staying in the same geographical area. Right. I don't. I don't have a ton more to say. If Scott Drew's going to bat for somebody, I have some faith in that guy. I yep. just do. Um, that's. I, I don't feel the need to to reiterate all of the things that you've said much more than that. But I am. There are few. Right, you know, you kind of right. We've talked about my draft philosophies. With you know, you just you just kind of develop philosophies. And part of my new coach hire philosophy now, one of the pillars is, if you got a guy who wants to come coach your school, and he's been the guy sitting right next to the guy who's leading some of the best winners in the country right now, it's probably not a bad place to start. So I'm excited for Jerome Tang to finally get the opportunity first and foremost. Um, but um, to see him as a head coach, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Me too. Who's your honorable mention? I don't have an honorable mention here. So mine was Todd Golden. Which oh, okay. All right. About. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. I didn't have an honorable mention here because there wasn't somebody. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess I guess that. by affiliation, my honorable mention will probably be Thad Mata just because I'm excited about that. You know, favorite excited, I think, could be slightly interchangeable. Um, but Thad Mata coming to uh to butler i'm very excited about that so i suppose that would be my honorable mention but jerome tang was like in a class of his own in terms of this category so i didn't feel the need um yeah the the coach with the most pressure maybe this is a little bold i'm curious what your thought is okay but i i went shaheen holloway interesting now this is not i went with the guy he's replacing (laughs) This is not a question of Shaheen Holloway's coaching abilities or whether this was a good hire. Mm-hmm. It was a no-brainer. Mm-hmm. You have to make this hire. The, the basketball program may have stopped existing if they didn't make this hire. Mm-hmm. It was so obvious that this is what was going to happen and what should happen. My point is simply, Seton Hall has had six NCAA tournament quality teams in seven seasons. And... Nobody knew who Shaheen Holloway was, you know, nine months ago. Yeah, try five months ago. Five. And, of course, he has his... his On March 1st, 2022, nobody knew who Shaheen Holloway was. Right. And that is a very general statement. Right. Seton Hall knew who Shaheen Holloway was. Seton Hall fans knew who Shaheen right. Holloway was. No disrespect to right. Shaheen right. Holloway. The, the Northeast knew who Shaheen Holloway was. Right. But from a national coaching perspective... Nobody was talking about Shaheen Holloway. And with all due respect, before March 1st, Shaheen Holloway was not getting the Seton Hall job. Right. Probably, probably not. There was always, there's part of me that thinks eventually he might have been one of those guys that got in that conversation just because mm-hmm. of his connections, mm-hmm. where you might not know who he is, but you go, oh, well, that would make sense why they were interviewing him kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But right, it was not going to be a national conversation the way it became. And certainly wasn't a foregone conclusion. Right. Like where well, we like were it counting was. down it's the like, days. Oh, Kevin Willard left. Oh, Shaheen Holloway. Well, right. we'll see you soon. Right. I'm always going to part of my philosophy. I'm always going to be wary of that player. If you take away 
how incredibly well coached that St. Peter's team was. Mm-hmm. The fact that Shaheen Holloway checks every single box from a X's and O's standpoint, a relationship standpoint, a culture standpoint, just objectively. I will always be hesitant hiring the guy because of what he did a couple weeks in March. Mm. I don't care how impressive the run is. So my, my pressure comes from just the simple fact that everybody thinks this is a slam dunk. Mm. What if for whatever reason it's not? And now everybody's going to be looking at St. Hall next year because, well, we want to see how Shaheen Holloway follows up what he just did with St. Peter's. Mm-hmm. That's why I went with him. It has nothing to do with him in particular, but just the circumstances surrounding his situation. I think that's fair. Uh, I went with Kevin Willard because I think right, it, it doesn't happen all that. Like, like the, the, high, the, the biggest form of... I, I think he's in a category of coaching change that's smaller than people might realize initially oh. from a... Right, it's usually you know high major assistant coach goes to mid major, um, high major assistant coach like at that tippity top goes to a different high major job. Um, I consider Gonzaga a high major program, so Tommy Lloyd would fall into sure. that category. Um, um, help, we just talked drum, drum tank. tank. Sorry, yeah. would fall into that category. Kenny or, Payne, right? Or it's kind, or it's more of a right a Matt McMahon to LSU. It's a Todd Golden to Florida. It's a Todd Golden to Florida. It's it's that kind of thing. So I can't come up with, and here's why he's got the most pressure. I can't come up with a reason that Maryland fans could give themselves that Kevin Willard shouldn't be successful. From a what the coach himself is bringing mm-hmm. to the program. Sure. Maryland desperately needed new blood in that program. Desperately. Mark Turgeon is on the list of coaches that I just think were, were done with the way that college basketball works. And it, it was stale. It was just time for somebody else. It was probably time, like, after Mellow Tremble left. Like, and, it, it was probably time a little while ago. And that is the reason Kevin Willard is not on my list of coaches with the most pressure. Is simply how long, and I'm going to save him for a minute, but simply how long Mark Turgeon got. And that's, that's fair. That is fair. Um, I, but like I was saying, I can't, like it's, there's no, well, he's never been a head coach before. Well, you know, it's, it's kind of not, it's not a, it's a tough basketball school job. Like I, I, I disagree with that. I think Maryland is actually, I mean, it's an incredible job. It's an incredible, it's like sneaky. One of the like seven best jobs in the country. Um, you know, there's no, oh, he's coming from a high major. It's going to be different. Like, he's coming from Seton Hall. The Big East is very much a high major high major conference, and Seton Hall has become a very high major program. Oh, he doesn't, you know, you know, elite-level talent. He hasn't ton- had a ton of that. He's had a first-team All-American guy in the last couple of years, multiple Big East Player of the Year guys in the last couple of years. Um, there's not a ton that's going to catch Kevin Willard off guard from a overwhelming perspective. And if I'm sitting in the seat of Maryland fan, I can't come up with a reason why I would have doubts as to why he can't be successful, which therefore means that there's more pressure on him to be successful. Even if the Maryland fan right this second doesn't realize it, because by definition, you just kind of get a little, you get annoyed with lack of success more yeah. quickly than you would otherwise. Because you have nothing to point to Correct. as an explanation. Yeah. Sure. Well, you know, sorry. Well, like it was, it was kind of a gamble coming from a mid-major. It didn't happen the way you were hoping to. That that kind of thing happens. Um, Seen Hall's competed for Big East titles in the last several years, and he moved, you know, what one state, right? And, and right, there's not he's, a ton. There's not a ton to point to. All he's doing is, I mean, he recruited Maryland when he was at Seton Hall, right? Right. And he's going to recruit New York kids at Maryland. It's mm-hmm. the same general vicinity he's targeting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, real quick before we get back to him, I want to throw out Kenny Payne as my honorable mention for most pressure. Do you have an honorable mention? I have a group of guys that okay. honorable mention. Okay. So let's do those and then I'll we can come back to Kevin Willard. Does that work? That works. I just put Kenny Payne kind of for the same reason of it's Louisville. Mm-hmm the biggest brand to make a change 
right? Probably. I mean, yeah. maybe Florida has an argument, but I would take Louisville. Big name, big job, big jump. He's never been a head coach before. Mm-hmm. Never. This is very much him coming from right his incredible assistant coach track record. Mm-hmm. Certainly on paper he's qualified. But again, never run a program before. This is Louisville. That's why it doesn't get more complex than that for me. Mm-hmm. That's why he's my honorable mention is Louisville doesn't care where you come from, what your resume says. It's Louisville you expect to win. And that hasn't been happening at the level it should the past couple of seasons, for the most part. You know, Chris Mack had some really good moments, but also a disastrous ending. Right, and they're also there's definitely just some... Like, they also just need somebody to come in and be a basketball coach and, like, stay out of the right. headlines otherwise. Right. Um, just for this... Because yes. right? that's just what... Like, I don't want to ever have to think about you because you're winning and you're not saying ridiculous things or picking fights on the internet or, you know, paying strippers to come and entertain your basketball players. Yeah. Um, and his, and also his, his assistant coaching staff is big names too. Yeah. He seems to be doing everything right. I think this is going to work. But to your, your point about Kevin Willard, the excuse list is rather low at Louisville. Um, John Shire, Kyle Neptune are my observations. <laughs> Fair enough. It's like... I don't care how many ways these programs say that how many ways or how many different how many ways the programs say or how many different ways you or I or any other college basketball guy or gal comes up with why there's not pressure on John Shire and Kyle Neptune immediately there's pressure on Kyle Neptune and John Shire immediately because whether you like it or not and whether the fans are willing to admit it or not they expect winning at the highest of levels in these programs at this point, and anything short of it is going to get old and annoying really, really, really fast. To be clear, I excluded those two guys from my Louisville has the highest sure. profile. I sure. just put them in a different category, which is right. not to say they don't belong in the pressure which is, section. Because I, I felt know. like we had to at least mention yes. them in a podcast. It's such a weird—I this... mean, Kyle Neptune— is a new coach like anybody else. It's just, I have such a weird time talking about John Shire versus these other coaches because it's such a different situation. And even Kyle Neptune because he's inheriting something as opposed to taking something over. Right. Which sounds the same. Of course, this isn't, they're so unique and different from any other new hire this summer. Because there's almost an argument it's not a new hire, it's just a change in title. Kyle Neptune is actually coming back to the program. Technically, he is taking something over. That's But... They're at the end of the day, Kyle Neptune and John Shire have to answer for the W's and the L's that these programs take. And no matter how ingrained they were prior or not, that wasn't their responsibility until now. And that's that's just that comes with some pressure. Um so those are those are my honorable mentions. They have to be mentioned. They do. Yeah, you're you're right. I I just sort of put them in their own realm, but for sure they are in a special category when it comes to, if nothing, of course the expectation is to win, but of nothing else, also just people are going to be paying attention to see how the person who follows these two legends up does, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) outside of the fan base expecting things to operate the same. There's just a... Not to mention that they are the cream of the crop of college sports and everybody watches every move that those programs make. John Shire's going to, you know take the court at Cameron Indoor and be in charge. Right. And people are going to be looking and going, oh, right, Mike Krzyzewski's not here anymore. For the first time in 45 years. Right. That's a little bit of pressure. Right. Shall we go to Under the Radar? Yep. Okay, this is where I put Kevin Willard. Okay. Maybe it's because Mark Turgeon got stale at Maryland, Kevin Willard got stale at Seton Hall, that this just hasn't gotten the traction it deserves. But I'm with you. We don't see this. Seton Hall was consistently in the NCAA tournament. And did they have the success in March they hoped for? No. If that's the bar you're going to try and run coaches out of Seton Hall for, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I would ask you to reconsider. (laughs) (laughs) I would ask you to please reconsider. That was funny. He did an excellent job there. 
He's a very good coach. And by the way, Maryland has reached the top 10 of the AP poll three times in the last eight seasons and won a Big Ten regular season title. For all of the frustrations with Mark Turgeon, and they are valid, it's not like this program is lost. Could it be much better? Absolutely. It's a top 10 program in the country when it's clicking based on the resources, the pedigree, what you have at your disposal to re- and the recruiting base you get to build off of. Mm-hmm. Maryland has not been that. But he's not starting from ground zero here. They are always going to have talent because of where they are located, because the fact that they are the, the Under Armour school, they're a basketball school, and they didn't have to go find a risky, unproven coach. They got to just slide somebody in who was looking for something different, mm-hmm. who takes his team, that it was more difficult to recruit players and more difficult to get the resources necessary to the NCAA tournament. Mm-hmm. This could be home run in five years when we look back at it. I don't disagree with that. I don't have a time to say all my Kevin Willard thoughts I laid out on the table already. Um, my under-the-radar is Archie Miller. Hey, he was my honorable mention. Is he? Yeah. Awesome. Um, Archie Miller clearly was either A, not ready, or B, not comfortable for the Indi- with the Indiana job. Um, Rhode Island's much closer to Dayton in terms of the spot they occupy in the college basketball universe. Um, I think... I think Archie Miller is going to go right back to winning at a really, really high level at mid-majors, at a mid-major and turn that program, not turn that program because Rhode Island has done just fine for itself as a mid-major program, but but return for him as the coach of a program that we consistently talk about as one of the best mid-majors in the country. Um, I don't, you know, maybe we're not completely changing the discussion around Rhode Island. Maybe that's not... It's not really. This is more about Archie Miller returning to a place that I think he's really comfortable with, in terms of the type of program he gets to run. He kind of gets to be um, under the like. The only times we talk about Archie Miller for the next five years is going to be because when Rhode Island, they're like twenty seventh at Kempom, and oh my gosh, if I'm the the three seed, I really, really, really don't want to play Rhode Island or in the, the second seven round. seed, right? The six seed, right? Yeah. I, if I'm right, if I'm the six seed, I really like if I'm the three seed and I see Rhode Island as the six seed. Oh, I got you. Yeah, in, yeah, yeah, in yeah, my yeah. bracket, yeah. and I have to play them in the second round. Are you kidding me? Right, the second round. That's how the NCAA yeah. tournament works. Um, whatever that. Yeah. Right, whatever the matchup is. Um, <laughs> the round of thirty-two. I'm just giving up and right. doing that. That I think that I think we're going to return to that place pretty quickly um, for a guy that um, that things. That that he clearly didn't fit great in Indiana, and that's a, probably the worst job in the country to not fit in. It's just so painfully awkward until they fire you. Um, so I'm I'm happy for him to come back to get back to a, a mid major job. Maybe at some point he'll return to a high major uh, gig. But as of right now, Archie Miller at Rhode Island, I think that just fits. I think it makes sense. And um, under the radar in terms of the the uh, order of operations in the A10, um, the order of operations in the in mid-major, you know, college basketball in general. And here's the other part of this too, right? When Tom Crean got fired by Indiana, he took some time off, and then where did he go? The SEC. Mm-hmm. Archie Miller went from Dayton to IU back to the A10. Mm-hmm. He completely going up and down mm-hmm. skipped the you know, not traditional power at the high major level. Mm. He went from the A-10 to one of the premier brands in the country. That, that They like to think so. That expects to <laughs> win at that level, whether it's realistic or not. <laughs> yeah. But from a brand Hey, we're still a blue blood, Josh. From a brand perspective. Yeah. That's why I said brand, not program. Mm, I like that. That's a key. That's a that's a very important yeah. uh, vocabulary decision. You right. Just made. But from a from a pressure standpoint, there are like three. There are like three programs in the country right. with more pressure. Yeah. He just completely missed that whole middle step there, mm-hmm. and 
So if I'm a Mississippi State or a Kansas State, for example, or Missouri, Missouri, we can look. This is a fun game. Let's look at all the. uh, So I'm trying to think of the the programs that fit that bill. Georgia, Uh, Georgia. LSU. These are all schools, by the way, that hired a coach yeah. this this off season. Not Maryland. Um, no, Mississippi State. Yeah, I mentioned that. Missouri, South Carolina, South Carolina. Um, That's a pretty extensive list. Xavier, yeah. Butler. Your your big East schools. Yeah. Not that he was going to get that job, but that that level of program that mm-hmm. NCAA tournaments, but not. IU pressure. Right. He just went right back to the A-10. And I'm right there with you that I fully expect Rhode Island to start well. I mean, maybe they can form a two-horse slash maybe three-horse race with VCU and Dayton. Mm -hmm. Because Dayton has been just fine since he left. But the top of the A-10 all of a sudden is really good. Mm -hmm. And... It's going to consistent. Not, I mean, they've pretty much been doing this anyway, but consistently getting two or three teams in its locks to the NCAA tournament without needing to worry about conference tournaments because they're going to be really good. Mm-hmm. I just, I find that part of it fascinating. And right, nobody's really talking about the fact that I think there's a long list of Power Five schools that make coaching changes that we just went through that absolutely would have been justified in hiring them. Right. Just because he didn't work at Indiana doesn't mean it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. It's a very specific situation that, you know, hasn't exactly worked well before or after him either. That hasn't worked for anybody since Bob no. Knight. Are, Mike, are, Mike Wilson might be might be changing that. We will see. We will not either confirm that yes. or everybody will be ready for him to be fired in about six months. Um, yeah. Based on this all or nothing Indiana season we're about to have. Um, nice. Nice. We did a really bad job having more than like seven coaches. <laughs> we got to at least ten. Are you sure? I talked about all ten of mine, so yes. <laughs> I guess you did have ten. But like, so, yeah, okay. So maybe it was twelve or so. I meant the actual winners of the categories. Oh. Between between the winners, we had like a total of eight. Yeah, that's, that's why okay. I wanted to do the honorable mentions. That's okay. The honorable mentions is the honorable mentions. Mentions are helpful um anything else on our coaches here i i don't think so um mo williams is a college basketball coach i like that that's fun to remember mo williams the esteemed point guard of the cleveland lebrons back (laughs) in the day um that was fun to kind of remember um just kind of rolling through some of these other coaching hires. Um, Frank Martin went from South Carolina to UMass. That's kind of fun. Travis Steele, Miami of Ohio. Um, my favorite thing is the guys who were fired is when guys get fired after their kids play for the play for the school. Like Pat Baldwin Senior out at Milwaukee. It's like, hey, we got your kid. Um, he's off to the NBA. You can we'll we'll be seeing you. Um, those are all of the ones I can. Those are, those are the all all of the ones I. Kind of. Uh, Pat Chambers at Florida, Florida Gulf Coast. Coast. I was about to say the same thing. That one's, that one's interesting. Um, uh, shouts to Matt McKillop taking over for Bob McKillop at Davidson. Um, I think that's pretty much all I've got. Yeah, Coaching again, hires a lot that's a, that goes into the Kyle Neptune, John Shire <laughs> category. Seriously, for me. Of, hmm. Right, that was, that was a coaching change that was inflicted be inflicted that's not the right word triggered by a retirement rather than a mm. desire by either party to end that working relationship and it's a i mean Bob McCulp and Davidson are just the same thing at this point how long do you think it'll be? like like at what point will the last person realize that the McKillop at Davidson is not Bob anymore are we talking like eight years from now? There'll be somebody who's like, wait a second, that guy's way younger than the other McKillop. I, I would be lying to you if I said I had any <laughs> way to come up with a good answer to that question. <laughs> I, I feel like it'll take at least a couple years. And you just see McKillop. This guy is you know, someone not super familiar with Davidson, just knows that there's that old guy that 
coach maybe, stuff. Maybe my answer will be the first time they make a run in the NCAA tournament. Mm, and okay. right, we show the, the stuff highlights. Cause it's it's like, wait a second, they made wait a second that guy is the, the youth fountain, or that's a different coach. <laughs> right, and then, of course, we got to talk about Bob McKillop and the... Right. <laughs> maybe that's the answer. Is they just need to get another run in March going. Steph will show up. And there will be no and Bob McKillop will be sitting yes, next to exactly. Steph instead of sitting, exactly. on, the, sitting on the coaching bench. I think I agree with that. I'll allow that. Um, <laughs> that will make it pretty clear. I think that's I think I think that's that's pretty spot on. Um, I think that's all we got for you uh, in this coach's conversation. Um, we'll be back next week. We're calling this. I guess I should have told you what we're calling this. The summer rewind. So we'll rewind about other things next week. It'll be great. Um, and we'll see you then. Please subscribe to the Jays for Days podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Jays for Days Pod. Check out the YouTube channel over there if you want to see it in video form. There it is right there. Um, and we'll be back next week. Thanks so much for listening to this edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. And we will see you later.